I invited my friend Demerick Patton back after losing the first half of our conversation from the previous recording. Don't worry, I figured things out so we shouldn't be experiencing the same technical difficulties anymore. In this episode, Demerick tells us about his experience as a storm chaser. We learn about the coolest thing he's ever seen, a ball lightning. I mean, no one's been able to catch one on film, but Demerick confirms they exist. I ask him about his opinion of the movie Twister, and when I realize he doesn't have a good one, I quickly change the subject. Please, let me keep believing there are storm chasers out there falling in love while trying to save the world. It helps me sleep better at night and preserves my fond memories of the 90s. But enough delay. Let's learn more about Derek. Hey, welcome to Chasing the Kingdom, where our goal is to provide hope and wisdom for spirit-led entrepreneurs. I'm John Balawa, and I believe God wants to use entrepreneurs to make the world better. Romans 8.19 says that the world is decaying and groaning for the revealing of God's sons and daughters. And that means the world needs you. And there are problems that can't be solved until you step into your God-given identity. If you want to stir up those gifts, then you're in the right place. Let's get hyped up for today's show. Welcome to another episode of Chasing the Kingdom podcast. Uh, we have Demerick Patton back. Um, he is from a previous episode that I released, but we had technical problems and I missed a whole first half. So I asked him to come back because his story deserves to be told. So welcome back, brother. Well, thank you so much, John. It is a privilege and it's my honor to be here man i am so glad um anyways i i you know i think it's so interesting uh, that you used to be um a professional storm chaser so why don't we just begin with that like wow. how did you get into that and then how did you switch from that yeah professional and as much as i did it often i didn't get paid to do it i had to pay to go do it but i i really did enjoy it so um, when I was probably eight years old, I just started having a love for the weather, for meteorology. So I went to the local library and I checked out every single book I could on the weather. And I started reading more advanced books that eventually just kind of self-taught myself the weather. And so as soon as I was 16, I grew up in the state of Kansas. We have a lot of storms there. Uh, a buddy of mine and I, we would go out storm chasing when it was what we would call a good day. A good day for us we meant that there was a chance of severe weather. And it's very seasonal in the plains, so we knew that was going to be in the spring and summer, mostly in the spring. Uh, but we would, if we could, we'd take off school. We definitely did that when we were in college. If it was going to be a good day, within a day's drive, we would drive to it. And so it was a lot of fun. We saw a lot of great storms, didn't see a lot of tornadoes, saw a few. Um, one time though, we drove all the way to Illinois from where we were in Kansas, which took the entire day to get there. We had to leave early because we knew when the stars would develop, where they would be. Um, and this is before we had all the tools that we have now, like on our phone, we had to use the radio, we used CB, and then a lot of it was visual. We had to use our eyes. So we'd have a map of the car, we'd bring a camera so that we get good photos. And so on this day, 
what was exciting about this day is we saw something that's rarely been seen and is still, as far as I know, it's never been photographed. We didn't photograph it, so we were we were sad that we didn't do it that day. But um, when we got to Illinois, and I'll get back to what we saw, when we got to Illinois that day, we, we went to a couple places where there were definitely um, what some people call wall clouds, a rotating cloud, a, a mesocyclone that's hanging down out of the, the storm, which is where you get tornadoes to come from. Didn't see a tornado while it was light. After sundown, we saw a couple tornadoes. Uh, which are illuminated by the lightning. And at one point, we had a tornado on our left and on our right. And so we knew where we needed to go to get out of the path of the second one that was coming from the left of us as we were driving northward because it was one of those days where the storms were coming out of the southwest, which is typical in that area of the country uh, at that time of year. And so um, we were driving as fast as we could on brain-soaked roads and there's hail. Hail wasn't large enough, fortunately, to damage the car, but there's hail heavy rain. And then suddenly there's a lightning strike right beside us. And we look over and it's, it looks like there's sparks everywhere that blew up. And then there's a floating orb of electricity in the air. Never had seen that before. That's called ball lightning. And so it floated there for about one to two seconds. And all there were three of us in the car that day. We all saw it, but we couldn't get the camera up fast enough. It was sitting on the dashboard. And uh, then it exploded into sparks, but it was one of the coolest things that I'd ever seen. So that was like, all my years storm chasing, that's probably the most rare thing you would see and definitely the, probably the strongest memory. You know, some people would be like, well, what about this storm or flooding or tornadoes or hurricanes? The ball lightning was super cool. So it's called a lightning ball. It's, it's called ball lightning. Ball lightning. I want to see a ball lightning. Yeah, well, what happens is you have a lightning strike and somehow, and, and I don't know how it's been described scientifically at this point because I haven't kept up, up on how it may be described, but at the time that I was in college and thereafter, um, they couldn't describe how this phenomenon would exactly happen. It ju they just knew that it happened. But you would just have a ball of electricity floating through the air until it just went out. But nearly, And it exploded? Yeah, it, 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 it's exploded in there. Did you feel the force or anything? Or No, we were far enough away. It was probably maybe, I want to say, 20 to 30 yards from us when we saw how, how big was it? I would say it was the size of a basketball. Wow. Yeah. And you could see, like, all the light. And Yeah, it just it just looks like a floating orb of light. That is but You know it's electricity. So I, I wonder if... if it's, it'll be all over heaven we'll see that type of power because we know there's lightning at the throne and you hear the peals of thunder. So um, I wonder if God has ball lightning there. I bet he does. Wow. I had a um, the vision that God gave me and it was these, and I was awake um, when I got the vision, but it was this dark rolling cloud and all this lightning coming coming from it it was so intimidating and powerful and um i had this like feeling of terror but not for me i i i, I was i felt safe so that's why i, I knew it's from god because i know like you know like the enemy when he comes he, he make he makes your soul feel terrorized but i felt safe it was just i was watching this thing and i asked god what was that and he told me it was what the enemy sees when he's coming after him 
And so um, I would love to see a ball lightning. That's going to be on my prayer list now. <laughs> well, I get a lot of lightning down here in Florida, so this would be more likely than a lot of places. Right? Yeah. So have you had any like close encounters where you're like, uh-oh, I shouldn't have chased this storm? Um, we were pretty smart about what we were doing most of the time. The most dangerous part of storm chasing is the driving just because you're out there on the road, you're also looking up the sky, so you're not always looking at the road. Uh, and then just being careful on wet roadways. Uh, the roadways where we live, they do a great job of making sure they train well, but there's a lot of places where they don't train as well, and you could hydroplane very quickly and then fly off the road. So in terms of knowing, uh, because we were just really... We'd studied a lot about storms, so we were really well informed. We had a good idea of what each storm was likely going to do. And when you have a visual on a storm, too, you can see where it's developing in terms of the clouds. Um, so with that type of intuition, that type of knowledge, we never had a really close encounter with uniformity uh, or being dangerous for us. But there are storm chasers who are more aggressive. I'm sure some people have seen those videos, whether it's Reed Timmer or some other well-known storm chasers, uh, they want to get in the path of the tornado, and they have. And that's not something that I would ever do, but those guys, they, they do have the trucks or the other vehicles to withstand uh, probably F1, F2 tornadoes. All they do, the EF scale now. Back when I was growing up, they called it the Fujita scale. Now they call it EF, and I'm not sure if they kept Fujita's name in there, but... Um, so, in other words, weaker tornadoes. A stronger tornado, you're going to lift a truck off the ground as well. So, uh, those guys, they're experienced enough, though. They know what they're dealing with. But still, you're going to get some damage to your car because you're going to have debris thrown into the car. So, I'm not quite sure why they do it, but they do them. Were you a fan of the movie Twister? You know, that's a funny question. I've had a lot of people ask that knowing that I was a storm chaser. And surprisingly I wasn't because I was like this is so fake <laughs> so, no don't ruin it for me that's what I think of when I think storm chaser <laughs> yeah I went to see it though because it was you know it, it it was something that was glorifying what I was into and let me have my childhood fantasies and then you had it connected to a love story as well so it was all yes fall in love next to a ball of lightning that yeah that. yeah and it and then it felt a little bit Wizard of Oz-ish. So just, they had some elements in there that were interesting. Um, it's like one of my friends who works for NASA, he can't watch Star Wars because he's like, it's so unrealistic. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, when you're into that area of how it actually works in science, if someone puts a movie out and it's not, you know, lined up to it, then you're like, man, this just... I did, I did hear, uh, speaking of that type of phenomenon of where people, you know, will watch a movie if it's in their area of expertise. I did hear about this most recent Top Gun that they interviewed actual Top Gun people to get a lot of the stuff that happens there. And they said 90% of what you saw and the most recent Top Gun was true. Wow. So I think all those guys were able to go watch it because they're like, okay, that, you know, because sometimes you just have to say, well, that's the movies. That's Tom Cruise for you. Yeah. But then other times you're, you know, if it's closer and even almost exact to what's true, then it can be super entertaining. So I, I'm sure someone could come out with a better version of Twister and maybe not have the love story in there, but I'll have to see. No, uh, leave leave my fantasies alone. <laughs> so um, Twister and Titanic, 
those are my history history memories were uh, uh, influenced by movies. So all right, well then we won't discuss the Titanic either. <laughs> so um, how did you shift? Like this is what you were going to do. Was it God that switched it? Yeah, you exactly right. So growing up, as I said, I loved the weather. And I was really good at it. So I, I started out in college and did some undergraduate work so I could play tennis division two for a couple of years before going up to uh, the University of Kansas, where I wasn't good enough to play tennis at that level. But that's where my major was, meteorology. That was the only school in the state of Kansas that had that as a major. So I went there and my first 10 days um, up there, I was just drinking, getting drunk. And on the 10th night, uh, the Lord came and spoke to me. What I would say is the internal internal audible voice of God. I don't believe it was an audible voice outside of me because I don't remember hearing a voice, but I remember hearing a voice that was so strong, I knew exactly who it was. Having not necessarily known I had heard his voice before. And I would have said that I came to know Christ when I was four or five, really saying, Jesus, I love you. I want you in my life. Come into my heart. I want to follow you. Those were the types of things I would have known to do. And I had people invest in me and grew up going to church. But um, it was in that moment where Jesus came and said, I'm giving you an opportunity. You can either choose to lead your own life or you can allow me to lead your life. And I knew that was a line in the sand. And I knew I probably wasn't going to do a very good job leading my own life. So at that moment, I surrendered everything and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And so all these sin struggles in my life instantly fell off. And I didn't understand that this was uh, something that God does for people where you enter into such a grace that there's just nothing that you want except for him. Yeah. And, and it, didn't, it didn't always stay like that. There was a time after where then I had to really pursue him he is a treasure hidden in the field. The kingdom of God is a treasure hidden in the field. We pursue hard after him. Seek God. We have to seek him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We are to seek him. However, I wasn't necessarily seeking him very much when Jesus just came into my life like that. And so, but he made it very clear. And then he also made it clear, you're going to have to seek me thereafter. And so that's when it began for me just really saying, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you. What does that look like? So I got my degree in meteorology, but while I was doing that, I had gotten involved with a campus ministry and found a local church in town within that same week, by the way. But I stayed involved with that campus ministry and used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's called Crew. And so I just knew I was supposed to go with them for a year, at least somewhere in the world. And that year that I was graduating, 1997, they had created a partnership with Spain. And so I ended up going to Sevilla, Spain for a year where I was able to minister to college students, Spanish college students. And what we would do is we would just sit down and we would talk with them. We would do in interchanges, intercambios in Spanish. And Can you speak Spanish? Well, when I was there, I could. And then I came back to the United States and didn't speak Spanish hardly at all. Now, I went to Spain this summer and it started to come back because you have to be in it for a while. You have to hear it again. It's It can be there in your brain. And I wouldn't say I was a great Spanish speaker at the end of my year. Had I been there two years, I think I would have been a lot better. 
Um, but you know, I was conversational. Yeah. I couldn't really speak my heart as easily as I wanted to. And of course, when it's your own heart language, whatever your native heart language is, you have a, you know, many, you have a much bigger vocabulary and a different way to express yourself. And you feel when you only know so many words and verbs that you feel limited in your expression. So that part was difficult because you could really want to say something but you didn't know quite how to say it. So you did the best you could with the language you have. It's like being a child. Children feel like that, Um, you know, and then their vocabulary expands and their awareness expands and how they can communicate it. So I think it's a humbling experience in that way, but it's really good too. And people are gracious. They understand it's not your first language. So they're very patient and and loving. And, you know, people really do love people. And so that's something I found with them too. Um, you know, I'm uh, a brain nerd, and I, I, I'm I'm fascinated by the brain and 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 thinking. And I often wonder if learning another language could take me in another journey. Meaning, are there areas of my brain? I'm sure there are areas of my brain that I I'm not using and can't express because I'm not learning a different language. So that, that fascinates me. Yeah. That, that would be something good to study. I've heard lots of different things about the brain and languages and even such that the different languages are stored in different parts of the brain. There was a study done on a person who had had a stroke who spoke Arabic and English and they lost the English, but not the Arabic. Wow. It was where the stroke was in the brain. And so, um, I can't say that I really know all that much about it, but I'm sure that as you exercise new parts of the brain, it even opens up the brain into a, a way in which you're able to expand how you think and how you operate. Wow, the brain fascinates me. I, I, it's reminding me of this story of um, I was, I was reading it where this guy was blind, but he, when he got older, he got Alzheimer's and he started to have sight because he forgot he was blind. Wow, that's incredible. So the brain is like way more powerful than we think. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Paul did say to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That includes the brain. We know that the mind that he's using there, he's probably even thinking like our soul, so our emotions and our will as well within there. And I'd have to look at the original word in the Greek to know what word he used there. But it's our thinking. How we think is so important because the thinking determines what we feel and what we decide. So, and then learning how to think differently, that's what so many people are giving research to right now. Wow. And, but Paul said it right there. You know, we go to scripture, we're like Romans 12, 1 and 2. So here's our act of worship. We offer ourselves daily as a living sacrifice, and then we be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might be able to test or prove what God's perfect will is. And so it's so important that we're thinking right thoughts because then we can test and approve what God's perfect will is. We'll know what to do, in other words. We can make the right decisions. That's what's so key in that, that part of the scripture. You know, can you imagine how powerful our brain would be if we obeyed God and stayed in his principles? Because like, I used to think that God gave rules because he wanted to be boss. And so like, when when people when I was unsaved and people 
would tell me about Jesus, I'd get annoyed. I'd like, I don't want that. I don't, you know, I don't want to be like lorded over somebody who like just wants to be boss over me. But then when I got saved, I realized that the only reason why he was giving us commands was for benefit. And so when God starts speaking uh, about our thoughts and the brain and like he's constantly teaching us and telling us, even throughout the Bible, how to use our brain, you know, and he's saying, don't be anxious, you know, be courageous, Um, uh, um, you know, hope, stay in hope. Um, You know, this all takes the brain, you know, this all takes intentionality. But imagine if we did, imagine if we we were skilled at, at, at not being anxious, letting go. Imagine if we were uh, skilled at being grateful, at, at, at thinking of good things, at, at uh, believing for things, at uh, always staying hopeful, um, and, and all these things. Imagine the, what the brain could do in that state. Yeah, that, that's wisdom right there, what you're speaking in what you just said, the scripture answers all of it. So that's what, when we know the scripture and then we've meditated upon it, um, things come to life in us because we're chewing on it constantly and we're saying, okay, so what's the application? We're not to be mere knowers of the word, but doers of the word. And then when we look at it, uh, Jesus said, be anxious of nothing, but in everything give thanksgiving. So the key there is that we know that then we can present a request to the Lord and he's going to take care of us. He also told us that... You know, we are more valuable than spirits. He knows every hair on our head and, and that he will provide for all of our needs. Well, what you said is true. One thing we don't do is we don't believe it. One of the reasons we don't believe is because we haven't gotten to know him. Right. We haven't meditated upon his word, word enough and we don't know him. And the reason why Thanksgiving is key and not being anxious. Our anxiety has a fear of the future. It's always, there's an outcome in the future that we are fearing. Anxiety is always in the future. It's not in the present. Two things that come to mind. One is God. God's grace is sufficient for us right now. Amen. For today. Not for tomorrow and what could happen, but for today. Yeah. So if I'm thinking of what could happen that's evil, I don't have the grace for that. So I'm going to be anxious. The second thing, but what he said to do in that, in that key scripture is that we are to give thanks. Because what Thanksgiving does is it causes us to remember we remember how he's delivered us before. We remember what he's done for us before, what he's given to us before. And if he's done it before, we can trust he will do it again. So now our trust is in him, having witnessed it already. That's why testimony, our own personal testimony and others' testimonies are so powerful. So Thanksgiving causes us to remember and then to have confidence and faith again. That's why we don't have to be anxious. So he put that right in there. That's that little key ingredient. There is the state of our brain when we are in gratefulness. It is like this powerful state of the brain. I would imagine that we could do things in gratefulness that we can't do in other states. And it reminds me of two stories. Um, uh, The first one. I was talking to a barista at my favorite coffee shop. Shout out to Alex LeBlanc. And uh, this was like two days ago. Uh, we were talking and he was he was telling me, um, he, made, he, made, he made a comment. He said, like, God will tell 
him something one day, but then the next day, and it will comfort him. So it would give him comfort and peace that day. But the next day, he's back to like, uh, like needing the peace, right? And 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 I told him like an experience I had because I, I experienced the same thing. Like God will give me a word in prayer, and it's just it fills me with gratefulness and 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 power for that day. But the next day, sometimes even the next hour, I'm back into turmoil and and and, and worrying and concern. And I asked God about that. I said, why? Like, why? Why am I like so shifting in my emotions like that? And, and, and God answered me. He says, because this, for the same reason that the Israelites in the wilderness could not carry the manna into the next day, he goes, you have to stay close to me every day. And I will give you manna that's going to last for that day. But the next day, it's not going to be good. That's profound. You have to hear from me every day. I'll give you enough for today. Yeah. But tomorrow, you need to come to me for new men. And so God has built this thing. I can say it over and over again if you're listening to the podcast. God has made the game a certain way. If we don't play by the rules, we lose the game. And the game is made to trust the Lord to go beyond our own understanding and to cling to him every day. And if we don't do that, it's just, it, we get off track. Um, the second story is, um, you mentioned Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And so she uh, mentioned a study one time, and it wasn't a Christian study, but she said there was uh, this the scientist, he wanted to find out the circuits in the brain that process fear. He, he felt like, okay, if I could find these circuits in the brain and study them, then I could help people deal with fear. And he, um, so he did the whole study, the long drawn out study. At the conclusion of the study, he said, there are no circuits in the brain for fear. It was never meant to process fear. And in fact, what he found was it was damaging the brain. Every time there was fear, that damaged the brain a little bit. And over time, it actually led to um, uh, severe depression. And and he said, it, if you you still didn't make changes, um, the severe depression will turn into Alzheimer's or dementia. Wow. I believe that. Yeah, I remember reading that story from Dr. Caroline Leaf in her book. And then when you go to the scripture, the most oft-repeated command given 365 times that have been counted up by the Jewish scribes, uh, those who would be considered the um, sages, they say that it's 365 times the Lord says, do not fear in the scripture. Every day, one for every day. Yes, exactly. So, because God wanted us to remember that was going to be one of the primary drivers of all our behavior. And that's probably the one that we're most likely to fall into is fear. And it was the first sin after Adam and Eve were tempted and ate of the fruit that they weren't, that that's what drove them. Their behavior was fear. Now, I have a good reason to believe why they were scared. I think that they were spirit beings and their spirit being died. And that meant that when they died spiritually, they could no longer see the other spirit beings that were in the garden and around them. They also lost the ability to see the light of God, of his glory, because it was the glory that lit everything. It was day three that God created the stars, the moon, uh, and the sun. So then they needed the natural light because they had gotten blind to the spiritual light. So I think they had good reason to fear, 
But that was a natural consequence. And the primary thing that they felt in the very beginning was fear. And so since then, we've been battling fear since it came in. That's a word for somebody who's listening right now. Jesus said 365 times, do not fear. And that goes back to what what we were talking about earlier. It's impossible for us to carry the manna into the next day. And that's why God gives us a, a word, a, a manna every day. If we cling to him, every day he's going to give us something new, enough to get us through that day so that we can make it to the next day, but then we're going to have to get sustenance from him again. And that's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but, for, but from every word, rhema, out, coming out of the mouth of God, and guys, there are different wor- um, words in the uh, in the Greek for for word. In that scripture, it's rhema. Rhema is a specific type of word. It means what is God saying right now? What is He saying for you right now? You won't know that unless you're connected with Him. You don't. You won't know that. Uh, you won't know that ex- except for relationship. You're exactly right. Hey, I hope you liked the show. If you got something from it and want to bless me back, leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and also subscribe to my channel. If you want to connect with me on social media, my Instagram is at kingdom.moves. I pray that God gives you hope and that you step into everything he's got planned for you. Peace. Peace.